Let us pray. Our precious Father, we just want to thank you again for the privilege we have to gather tonight to study your word. We are always grateful and thankful. We trust you again that you teach us by your spirit and help us to understand the mysteries of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> okay. We are still on the doctrines of the church. The doctrines of the church of Jesus. Our text is 2 Corinthians 11, uh, 13 to 15. New Living Translation. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised. Even Satan himself disguises himself as an agent of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. In virtually every letter that the Spirit of God wrote to the church, there's a warning about demonic deception because it's real. And you know, it, 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 it started even from the time of Paul. Started even from, because the devil started about that time to try to deceive people, confuse people about the gospel. Why is he doing that? Because the devil is a liar. In John 8, 44, New King James Version says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father, you will do. He was, number one, a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he's a liar and the father of it. He gives birth to lies. I like message. He says, you are from your father, the devil. All you want to do is please him. He was a killer from the very start. He couldn't stand the truth because there wasn't a shred of truth in him. There's no shred of truth in the devil. When the liar speaks, he makes it up out of his lying nature and fills the world with lies. Spews lies all over the world. And so let's remind ourselves again of the primary doctrine that the enemy is fighting viciously against. Because if we miss it here, you miss it everywhere. This is the foundational doctrine, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you are not saved according to scripture, you are going to hell. That's what the devil wants. Now let's read again the doctrine of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And do not take this for granted because many people do not know what it means. They don't understand it. You tell somebody, are you saved? They say, yeah, I go to so-so church. Is that salvation? 
Are you saying, yeah, I've stopped doing what I'm doing? That's a normal standard response from thousands of people who enter church. Because they don't know what salvation is. So let's read the Bible again. Oh, you say, Pastor, I know it. Okay, praise God for you, but give others a chance. Ephesians 2 8. God saved you by His grace. By His grace. When you believed, period. You don't have to confess anything, you don't have to do anything. You believe, you are saved. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God, requiring no payment in kind or cash or any form from anybody. Salvation is not a reward, too, for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Titus 3, 4. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness, what God revealed was his kindness and love. You can call it his grace. Verse 5. He saved us. Salvation is a revelation of kindness of God and love towards you. Period. Not because of the righteous things we had done. Scriptures keep saying this over and over and over. But you still hear people stubbornly won't believe it. But because of his mercy... He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth, a new life through the Holy Spirit because of his mercy. Not because of anything I did. Because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously, he generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of this, his grace he declared us righteous. And gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Eternal life is our own and all the blessings of God. Just as simple as that. And verse 8 says, this is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to insist on these teachings. So that all who trust in God will devote themselves now to good doing, to good, to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. Now you think the devil will let you benefit from it? You kidding me? He's a thief. So he wants to engage you. He wants to deceive you so that you won't benefit from it. He wants to introduce error. Why, why did the Bible say that, that when you have eternal life now, you can devote yourself to doing good? Because this is the only way a human being can be saved from his nature of sin, given a new life, and given the ability to live the life of God. That's the only way. 
Ten Commandments can't do that. It's only God who could do that through his son, Jesus Christ. So now we have a new life. The Bible says we cannot devote ourselves to living this eternal life. But when a Christian doesn't understand it, he thinks he, he now lives his life by his willpower, ability, he's trying to be holy, be that holy, for I am holy. So and yet the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to be holy. Impossible to please God. These things we receive by faith are the things that make it possible for us to walk in faith in Christ and walk in victory over sin, over the flesh, over the devil, over the world, and enjoy everything God has given us to make us for, all, for life and godliness, all of it. Are you surprised that the body of Christ has so much lying, ignorance, Sexual iniquity. So much. So much. There can't be trust between Christians anymore. Because nobody trusts the other. Because they know what is happening. But can we begin to really be honest <laughs> and say the way it is? Nobody trusts the other. Because everybody knows that. Yeah. Very few people trust very few people. In the body of Christ. Very few. Trust very few. Because most either they are not saved or cannot. If you bring money, lying, fighting, anger, quarreling, resentment. You know, people who pursue miracles, I'm wondering, some of them don't even know what miracle they are looking for. Once they hear they say miracle, they sign up. <laughs> what miracle are you looking for? Oh, miracle. <laughs> miracle, looking for miracle. <laughs> oh, my God. They sign up. I hear there's miracle here. Book me. Miracle power. So what miracle are you looking for? Why not go and, and, and preach the gospel and pick, get people saved? And see the power of God exploding your life. I don't even know why I went there. So why, the, the, it's, look at this scripture, beautiful scripture we have. 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. You don't struggle to be a new person. God has made you a new person. You live it by faith. Without faith, you can't live it. Become a new person. The old life is gone. If you used to be angry, if you used to be angry and be a grudge, it's no more you. It's no more you. You are a new person. I read a testimony from out of New York of a young man who was struggling with masturbation and pornography for years, fasting, praying, and one day, he read the scripture that says, you are a new person. He said, really? So is this guy doing this thing is no more me. He said, yeah, it's not you. The life you have doesn't do pornography. It's the life of Jesus. He said from that point on, that was the end of pornography. Because faith is your victory. If you believe, you see the glory of God. It's as simple as that. It doesn't require effort and 
killing yourself and sweating. You enter into the rest of God. You stop sweating. It's all grace. It's all unmerited. For God so loved the world. That's why. So in Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions. For my name's sake. I did it for my name's sake. I, I saved you for my name's sake. For who I am. It's not because of you confess your sin, and you pray the Lord, you did all of that. It's for my name's sake. Because of who I am. I love you. I am love. That's why I pay the price to forgive your sins. So stop trying to impress me. I'm the one that will clean you and make you who you are. You can't make me who you want me to be. So the liar's dangerous attack is this. Now listen to this. The liar's very dangerous attack is this. He wants to cut you off from Christ. And if you succeed, your game. Game over. Game over. Without Christ, you can do nothing. So he wants to effectively cut you off. You can be going to church. You can be singing all you want to. But as long as you don't believe the gospel, he's got you where he wants you. Because he's cut you off from Christ. All the blessings of the cross, all the benefits of the cross, that's why he wants the, Christ, the person to be. You can't let him. So look at, look at the scripture, Galatians 5, 4. I, Paul, Paul put it emphatically and said, I, Paul, I'm telling you, he put his name there because this is serious. He said, I, Paul, tell you directly, if you think there is a benefit in circumcision or any other thing you are doing, And Jewish regulations, then you are acting as though Christ is not enough. I say it again emphatically. If you let yourself be circumcised, you are obligated to fulfill every single one of the commandments and regulations of the law. If you think there is, it is because of this that God saved you, because of what you did here, that God it this way. It says then you have to obey every single part of the law. All of it. If you want to be made right with God by fulfilling the obligations of the law you have cut you have cut off more than your flesh. You have cut yourself off from Christ. And have fallen away from the revelation of grace. It's a terrible place for any Christian to be. But I dare say, that's where a lot of people are. They don't even know what grace means. They aren't interested in it. They think it's their gingim. <laughs> it's their gingim. Someone said, I don't want to lose my anointing. <laughs> I'm laughing. I say, look at this one. If God ever anointed you, is it because of what? It's his grace. Paul called it election of grace. God said to Paul, you know, I called you before in your mother's womb. I hope I'm right. 
Is that correct? Correct? Yeah, so I called him. He didn't wait for Paul to come and be good, and he, I decided before you were born that this is what will be. I think that's what threw the prophet up. I think it's Paul or the prophet. I, I need to check my Bible. So they think God, God anointed them because they are so good. <laughs> you know, I'm protecting my anointed. Such a foolish statement from a human being. We tell you such a person doesn't know anything. Doesn't know absolutely nothing. The Bible says it's a gift of God. Gift of God. So the scripture tells us something that I think I haven't read recently. It says, 2 Corinthians eleven nineteen. 19. After all, you think you are so wise now. Because <laughs> you are doing what you think you are doing. It's because of this I do. Because of this I do. Because of this. I'm a special person to God. Look at how holy I am. Look at how good I am. You don't need Jesus. What am I doing with Jesus? I'm as good as Jesus. And yet to sing, there is none holy as thy Lord. But we found you. <laughs> that song should be rewritten. Because we discovered you who is as holy as God. So the next time they sing it in church, lift up your hand and protest. And say, no, no, no. I'm as holy as God. Come and see what God is doing because of my holiness. Not because of his mercy. And so he says, after all, you think you are wise. But you enjoy putting up with fools. You put up with it when someone enslaves you. Makes you dependent on them. Is their prayer? Is their anointing? You have to call them. You have to do this. If they are not there, you are finished. It slaves you. Takes everything you have. And people are sending money to buy miracle. You're a fool. Bible say you think you are wise, doing all of that kind of stuff. Buying the, the gift of God. Because you are lazy. You won't read Bible. You won't attend Bible studies. You won't attend all everything they are teaching in the men's fellowship. You are not there. Everything they are teaching in the women's fellowship. You are not there. Sunday school, you are not there. High school fellowship, you are not there. You are just so ignorant. That's what the Bible says. Takes everything you have, takes advantage of you, takes control of everything and slaps you in the face. Makes a fool of you. And it's happening. Oh yeah. Some people listen to me right now, you are doing it. The Bible says you think you're wise. Let me read it again. After all, you think you are wise, you are so wise. But you enjoy putting up with fools. You put up with it when someone enslaves you. Takes everything you have. Takes advantage of you. Takes control of everything and slaps you in the face. 
Because grace is simple. It won't cost you anything. And this is because people don't have interest in knowing Christ and knowing the truth. I mean, this evening we need to really be honest. Many people are not interested in knowing the truth. I was telling one woman somewhere, I said, a lot of people are not, in, are not focused and interested in knowing Christ and the truth. They are focused on religion and titles and miracles and every other thing, but not on Christ. And they don't want to know him. I say because if knowing Christ is your goal and you are in a place where they are not teaching about him, what are you doing there? What are you doing there? A brother in this church told me something completely amazing. He said to me, he said, Pastor, you know what, how we ended up here? He said, we are looking for a church. And I'm sure he's listening to me. So we're looking for a church and we're going somewhere. And then one of the deacons called me and my wife and said, do people want to know the truth? We say, yeah. And they say he gave us the address of the church. I say, he gave you, but he remained there as a deacon. He said, yeah. I said, because he's not seeking the truth himself. He's seeking deacon. They made him deacon. But he's telling you people, you want to know the truth? Go here. They are preaching the truth. Gave address. This family I'm talking about, they came to church. On, they've been here. They'll be here Sunday by God's grace. They told me this story. People are not committed to knowing the truth. Let's be real. They're not seeking to know the truth. They're not seeking to know Jesus. They're just seeking miracle, fighting the devil, bless my family, my children. It's all about all junk like that. And it didn't start today. Because Paul wrote and said, he said, the only one that I know who seeks the things of Christ is Timothy. He said, everybody's seeking the things of their own. He didn't start to do. But it's wrecking lives and keeping people in ignorance. And people are doing what they think is wise. Look at what the scripture says. 2 Thessalonians 2. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power. Counterfeit power. I listened to one man on YouTube. He said, <clears throat> he said, your problem is in your home. The man said, yes, sir. Yes, papa. It's in your home. Yes, papa. He says, it's under your mother's feet. I said, yeah. He said, now, everyone, watch me. I'm going to make you, I'm going to make your spirit live here and go to that place and destroy that thing. They said, ah. <laughs> He said, I, not even, I'm going to make you, your spirit, live here and go destroy that thing. It's like magician shoe. You're all boosting. You say, every presidential candidate has come to see me. Me was boosting. And the people who are supposed to be intelligent are sitting there and not taking their Bible and walking away. They're not interested in the truth. They're interested in miracle. They want power. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept 
the truth that will save them. They don't love the truth. They don't want it. They're not seeking it. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived. And they will believe these lies. Are you shocked? You are telling somebody, this is not Bible. You say, Pastor, I better, you know, every power comes from God, though. <laughs> power. <laughs> Looking for power. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. The tragedy of these things is <clears throat> God, God will give you a long rope. But if you don't take it, you don't know the day that rope ends. That's the problem. It might take years. Because God is very patient. Not that he will do anything to you, but he will keep saving you from the effects of all those things. At a particular time, he will allow you your choice. He won't punish you, kill you, no. <clears throat> but he will let you have the choice you made. And this guy called the devil is a dangerous killer. He has never blessed anybody. If you serve him, he will still kill you. He's evil. Serious evil. So we Christians and believers in these last days must stand firm in our faith in Christ and the gospel. Got to stand firm. Verse 13 says, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. As for us, we can't help but thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord. We are always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation. A salvation that came through the Spirit who makes you holy and through your belief in the truth. Fourteen, He called you to salvation when, you, when we told you the good news. Now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ simply because you received the good news. With all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we have passed on to you, both in person and by letter. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope, comfort you. Strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. Can I hear amen? amen? But this is the truth that the Holy Spirit is sharing to the church. In Galatians 2.21, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. Don't. That demonic. He wants you to treat it as meaningless. No, 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 you can't. Because it's that grace that saved you. It's that grace that heals you. Is that grace that supplies your need? Is that grace that brings answer to prayer? Is that grace? Is that grace? Is that grace? Is that grace? Is that grace that walking in your life, making you what you should be? The arm of the Lord is the grace of God working for you. You didn't pay for it. You can't pay for it. That God healed you is the grace of God. God keeps you from committing sin. This grace of God. That God gives you wisdom is the grace of God. You are preaching this. The grace of God. Paul said, the grace of God made me what I am. You can't set it aside. Once you do that, you start focusing on what you do and what you've done, what you have achieved. It can't be both of them. 
The Bible says it's either grace or works. So you can't make, call it meaningless. For, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. But Christ died because keeping the law can make us righteous. Christ died to make us righteous, to make us holy, to bring us to God, to make us, to, to share his life with us and to do in our life what we cannot do ourselves. He became, becomes our strength. The Lord is the strength of my life. Therefore, you can say, what can I fear? I can't fear sin, can't fear the world, can't fear anything. The greater one is in me. He gives me the ability greater than anything that I can face in life. And those that trust in him will never be put to shame. So the Bible says, 2 Timothy 2, verse 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in that grace. Don't be weak. Don't let the devil weaken you. Be strong. Saved by grace. Kept by grace. Preserved by grace. Blessed by grace. Healed by grace. Supplied by grace. To God be all the glory. You don't take any glory. Father, I give you praise. It's your grace. It's your mercy. It's your goodness. It's the Lord's mercy. I'm not consumed. There's mercy enduring forever. Lord, I give you glory. So we talked about the doctrine of laying on of hands. Now let's come to another doctrine, the doctrine of baptisms. Hebrews 6.2 says, Of the doctrine of baptisms, plural, and of laying on of hands, which we've done with and resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. We've done laying on of hands now, we're on the doctrine of baptisms. Baptisms. So there are three baptisms, types of baptisms the scripture teaches. First, baptism into Christ Jesus. It is done by the Holy Spirit alone. Baptism into Christ Jesus is done by the Holy Spirit alone. No man can be added to the body of Christ except by the power of God. None. This is why believers need to pray that God will raise laborers and pray that the word of God will have entrance into many hearts. God draws people through his word. Also, demonic powers hinder people from coming to Christ, too. It takes the power of God, walking through the message of the gospel, which is the power of God, to draw one to God. Also, the prayer of the righteous generates much power to do God's will, too, like pushing back demonic hindrances to the gospel. Christians must stop being selfish in their prayer and start thinking of the lost world. Make it your prayer topic and, and decide from today that I'm going to engage in the work of God also through prayer. That's one of the ways we serve Jesus is to pray for the things of Christ. Paul said, you partner with me through your prayer. Say, pray with me, pray for me, that God will save me from those people who don't have faith. So we should be praying for our leaders, pastors, heads of ministries, Minister of Assyrians, if you're Sunday school, pray for your teacher. Pray for your house center, your life center leader. That's part of the way you, you serve Jesus. That's part of the way you serve Jesus. Because we don't have, because we don't pray. So we engage through prayer. We engage through prayer. Don't let the devil focus you on yourself 
so it becomes so selfish. When we come to sanctification, we are going to see why many people are not healed. Tied to all of this. Tied to all of this. I'm not joking. If you are selfish, you can't get along with God. Because the Spirit of God is selfless, it's love. You are running cross purposes with God. And two don't agree like that. So, it's not something that a man can do. No man can add anybody to the church. That's why a pastor who is doing any program to get members is, is ignorant. You're wasting your time. You don't even beg anybody. Pray the gospel, go home. Don't pray the gospel, go to your house, my friend. Go have lunch. Stop bothering yourself. Church belongs to Jesus. All that trying to entice people with this, entice people with this, entice people with this. It's all waste of time. Let me tell us something. If you want God to move for you, stop, stop taking over from him. And using this human wisdom, thinking if I do this, people will respond. You know, taking off. If, if you're a pastor, listen to me. If you want people to give up, stop trying to entice them to give it. It doesn't work. You block God. Just tell them every time where you can read the scripture and that's it. Leave it for God. Leave it for God. The Bible says in the door of my power, they'll be willing. You can't make anybody, you can't make anybody willing. All that uh, preaching about offering waste of your time. You're wasting your time. In fact, you're blocking the Holy Spirit. Be simple. It's offering time, people. The Lord says this. That's it. Step back. Let Jesus walk with his children. The heart of the king is what? In the hand of if you really want God to move for you in your life, stop getting in the way. With your wisdom, with your plan, it gets in the way. Even with your children. Learn to, leave the, learn to commit things into the hand of God and say, Lord, I can't handle this. You handle this for me. He'll start guiding you through it. I, I, I was struggling to lose weight, man. I was struggling. Man, I was struggling. Man, I would go out and walk. And then walk, and I, I would stop this, I would adjust this, I would do this. I became desperate, and I wasn't losing anything. I wanted the Lord said to me, say, when you're tired, let us let me know. I said, yeah, really? He said, you didn't talk to me about it. The arm of flesh will fail you. You know me. Without me, you can do nothing. I said, yeah, I never talked to you about it. He said, okay, now, if you talk to me, I'll help you drop weight. And you made this your work, your God, because you think it's why your confidence is now. <laughs> you have to walk, so you can you can't be weighing yourself. You say, let your God drop your weight, let me see. I will drop a little, I eat rice, you come up. <laughs> eat rice, you come up again. <laughs> battle of the budge. I call it battle of the I was losing the battle. I told him, he said, stop trusting in your workout. You can do your workout, but don't trust in it. Trust in the Lord that God with all the heart. I'll bring it to pass. Say, so do your workout. It's okay, you must do it. But don't put your faith in it. As if to say, if you don't do it, you, you, the heaven will break. So I now go do my workout regularly. I work out. And I found that I had no more stress. Because I used to stress myself. Thinking I must do five kilograms. If I used to do six miles. My wife yelled, I reduced to five, four, five. Then for that pro, I reduced again. Can and now I'm so comfortable doing the little that I'm committing their little into the hand of the Lord, trusting him to use it. I said, Lord, I was worshiping that my exercise. 
without knowing it. I was getting in your way. If you understand me, shout hallelujah. hallelujah. In our lives, we get in the way a lot. And the devil pushes us to get in the way. Because it, looks, it says it's wise in your eyes. It says, but don't get wise in your eyes. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, be a fool. Let me do the thinking for you. I don't even know why I got there, but that's okay. So you cannot lure people to Christ, entice people to Christ. It's purely the work of the power of God when we pray the gospel. You leave it with God. Now look at what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 4. My brothers and sisters, when I first came to proclaim to you the secrets of God, I refused to come as an expert. Listen to Paul. Trying to impress you with my eloquent speech and lofty wisdom. <laughs> he said, he said I, I, I didn't want to employ all of that. It's worse of that. For while I was with you, I was determined to be consumed with one topic. Jesus, the crucified Messiah. I stood before you feeling inadequate, feeling filled with reverence for God and trembling under the sense of the importance of my word. I just wanted to be sure that all I'm preaching is his word. I stood there trembling under the importance of, of my accountability to God for what I'm telling you. It's not about you applauding my message. No, it's about God. The, what I'm telling you, he, I'm accountable to him for this gospel he committed into my hand. And uh, I can't bring eloquence trying to make it sound good to you, impress you. Make the, he said, no, no, I'm not going to do any of that. My job is just give it to you what he said. For I receive the Lord, the Lord from the Lord that which I give to you. The message I preached and how I preached it was not an attempt to sway you with persuasive arguments. When you preach, preach simple things, the Spirit of God pushing you to your mind. Let him take you anywhere he wants to take you. Forget about this. point one, point two. Anywhere he'll pick fully. He said, the message I preached and how I preached it was not an attempt to sway you with persuasive arguments, but to prove to you the almighty power of God's Holy Spirit. That this is done by him, <laughs> not by me. John 6, 44. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draws him. He made the work of pastoring easy. Very easy. You don't stress yourself about the church. It's not your, it's not your own. You don't. You don't sweat for nothing. Go home and sleep. Enjoy yourself. First Corinthians 13, 12, 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greek, whether slaves or free and have all been made to drink into one spirit. By one spirit, we were all baptized. To be baptized into Christ is to be put into Christ, to be added to the body of Christ, to be made part of the body of Christ. That's what baptizing into Christ means, to become a Christian, to join the church of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that makes it up through the gospel. And through any other means, he can choose to make it happen. Like Paul, he chose to, to 
confront him directly. And Paul said, who are thou, Lord? He said, you are Lord. He said, I am Lord. Acts 2.45. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord, not their pastor, not anybody, people, the Lord Jesus, added to the church daily such as should be saved. That's what Paul is saying. He says, it's not my or anything. It's the power of God. It's God that increases the church. My job is to preach the gospel to you. I can't even explain the gospel to you. If the Holy Spirit does not open your eyes, I can't do it. So they are baptized into Christ. They become, they are immersed into Christ. They share their life with Christ. They become one with him by accepting the gospel, by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5, 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. That's what baptizing into Christ means. You become, you become attached to him. You become a master. For you are now in Christ. If any man is in Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him. You become one, sharing one life with him. That is baptizing into Christ. Joining the body of Christ and becoming a Christian. Being born again. Then the second baptism is baptism in water. It is done by men. First one is done by the Lord. This one is done by men. This is exclusively for those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism in water is not for your friends. It's for anybody who has given his life to Christ. And you will see why very soon. In Mark 16, 15, and he said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, some people get confused here. They say, see, if you believe and you are baptized, then you'll be saved. But they didn't read the whole thing. Read the next line. But he that believeth not shall be damned. They didn't put believeth and not baptized shall be damned. Separated it right there. That baptism is necessary but doesn't save let me read it again. And he said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Then he continued, But he that believeth not. He didn't say he that believeth not and not baptized. Because if he said believeth not and not baptized, it means that you need to be baptized to be saved. But he didn't add baptism there. He said, Those that are saved, those that believe and are baptized, they are saved. But he that believeth not. He singled out what, he, what you need to do to be saved is to be believed, to believe. He that believeth not. And that goes with the gospel that says we are saved by grace through faith. And they say, what must I do to be saved? Only believe. So the, you see the unity of truth. He that believeth not shall be damned. It didn't say he that believeth not and not, he that believeth not and also not baptized shall be damned. No, he said, if they don't believe, they are damned. 
So baptism in water is for those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can see example right here, Acts 8, 34. And the eunuch, the, you, how do they pronounce eunuch? Eunuch, 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 my friend, whatever. I chew my tongue trying to pray, call something. <laughs> eunuch, eunuch, eunuch. Ah, somebody should know how they pronounce it. Eunuch, 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 or whatever. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this. This is Acts 8.34. Of himself or of some other man. 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began, began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Preached unto him Jesus. Because there's no salvation in any other. If you preach any other thing, there's no salvation in that. You know. Preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch says, see now, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? I should be baptized. Now I've had all this you are seeing. And Philip said, if thou believest with all thy heart, you have to believe, then you will be baptized. Thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. He had to believe first. And I want you to see the simplicity and the truth of the gospel. Believe you're saved. The man said, yeah, I believe Jesus is the son of God. And Philip said, you're now saved. He didn't say, confess your sin. Confess nothing. You're saved from your sin already. Salvation, you're saved from everything. Your sin, God said, I'm the one that blotted out your sin for my name's sake. You sin, he blotted out. Jesus died for it. He said, I'm, no, I'm not even imputing iniquity on you. Because Jesus died for it. If this man came to many churches and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, they would say, You are not saved yet. <laughs> they would take him through whatever they think he should do. Because they too don't believe the gospel. They won't believe the gospel. They don't believe the gospel. I'm telling us the truth. They do not believe the sufficiency of Christ. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's it. Paul in Ephesus, Acts 19, 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was in Corinth, at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. He said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Since you believed, have you received the Holy Ghost? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? What kind of baptism did you have? You were saved, you should have been baptized. The next thing, get baptized, the Holy Spirit. And they said, unto John's baptism. Oh, then said Paul, yeah, John verily baptized with water at repent, of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe in him which should come after him. He said, yeah, he was giving you baptism of repentance, but he was reminding you that somebody coming after him that you should believe in. 
Because the baptism of John was baptism of repentance. Christ hadn't gone to the cross. There was no salvation available. So John was baptizing them according to the, the law. It wasn't only John baptizing. The Pharisees were baptizing. And if you remember, the, the disciples of Jesus were also baptizing. It was a practice they had then. That if you, if you confess your sins, you're baptized. Study your Bible. The disciples of Jesus, they were baptizing too. Before the cross, there was no forgiveness of sin based on faith in Christ. Forgiveness of sin was based on your confession and then do whatever the law says you should do. But after Christ came, rose up, he said, now you preach forgiveness in my name. That those who believe in me, their sins are forgiven. Because I paid for it with my blood. And now if they believe in me, their sins are forgiven, you can baptize them. Baptizing them now in the name of God, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Go baptize them. If they believe in me, their sins are forgiven. They don't do anything else. Because God laid on, on him the iniquity of all of us. Before then, John would demand that you confess your sin and then he'll tell them you, you are vi- children of vipers and kind of sin. But after Jesus rose from the dead, he said that repentance and forgiveness should be preached in his name. Repentance is turning away from rejecting Christ when he came, they rejected him. If I have time and take you through scripture, you will see that, yeah, that's exactly what Christ, the Bible was pointing to. The Jews rejected him. Peter said, you people rejected him. You killed him. The prince of, you killed him. So now I have to repent from rejecting him and come, because there's no other salvation in anybody else. You have to come back to him and accept him. And Paul wrote, he said, we, he said we are preaching forgiveness to everybody, though, that whoever believes in him is for, is for receive forgiveness in everything, which the law couldn't do for them. So the new baptism is not the baptism of John. It's the baptism of faith in Christ. Those who are saved are baptized. And so in, in that act, Acts 19 verse 3, and he said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? And they said, unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with baptism of repentance then, saying unto people that they should believe in him, which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. When they had this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Because they are believed. And when Paul had laid his hand upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. So here is the significance of water baptism. Colossians 2.12 For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God. That's all. That's why you were raised to new life. Who raised Christ from the dead? You were buried with Christ when when you were baptized into him when you are baptized into him. If you read Romans 6 from 3 to 7, it tells us that we, are, we die with him, we are buried with him, we are baptized into him, we are master in Christ. 
that his death, burial, and resurrection was our death, burial, and resurrection. So we died with him. We resurrected with him. Even ascended with him because we are seated with him in heavenly places. Everything he did was for me and you. Everything Christ did here was enough for us. So baptism demonstrates that we were buried with Christ and that we resurrected with him. That is what it demonstrates. That's what it means. And the Colossians 2.12 says, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized into Christ, when you came to Christ and became a believer. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Now let me read to us the traditional verse that we use for water baptism. But before I read it, I need to explain to you some things so you can understand it very well. Now, the Bible uses metaphors and allegories. You must know that. Look, in Galatians 4.24, when Paul was writing about Edgar and Sarah, he said this allegory. I'm using allegory here. Galatians 4.24. Quit things are allegory. For these are two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, quit gender to bondage, which is Aga. He said, I'm using allegory here. And then you find a lot of metaphors. Jesus said, said uh, you know, I'm the bread of, bread of life. So you drink my blood. Eat my flesh. Now let me tell you what metaphor is. A metaphor is a short phrase. I'm the bread of life. If you drink my blood, you eat my flesh. It's a metaphor. It's a, it's a short phrase or paragraph that compares two seemingly unrelated things. Here is Christ using bread <laughs> related to himself. They're seemingly unrelated, but he's using what we eat that gives us life to tell us that I am the source of life, like bread is the source of life. My blood my blood, like water, will keep you alive. You say, drink. If you, if you don't drink water, you die. If I don't shed my blood, you all of you die. Your, your sins will not be forgiven. So you use these things that seemingly are unrelated to teach something from what we do every day. That's called metaphor. But when people don't know, they, they think it is a direct something and they, mis- they misunderstand it. So, what is uh, allegory? Allegory is usually a long narrative. The other one is a short phrase. Short phrase or paragraph compares two seemingly unrelated things to make a point. Allegory is now a long narrative that uses, again, two unrelated stories to teach a lesson or make a point. Like this, this verse now we are going to read is talking about Noah and the time of the water. And it's, it's, it's comparing it with Christ and us in Christ. How these people were saved at the time of Noah in the boat. That that's how we are saved when we entered Christ too. So he's using two things that look unrelated to make a point. That is, what is this one now? Is it a metaphor or allegory? Eh? It's an allegory. So let's read this allegory. 
First Peter 2, 20. The souls of those who long before in the days of Noah had been disobedient when God's patient waited during the building of the ark in which a few people, actually eight in number, were saved through water. They were saved through water. They were, the water was coming up, but they were saved through water. Genesis 6, 8, 21. And baptism, which is figure of their, their deliverance. Figure of their deliverance. Does now also save us. Not that the baptism saves us, but it is illustrating our salvation when we entered into Christ, like Christ is the boot that saves now. Remember that you are in Christ. A must in Christ. Baptized into Christ. So when you go into water and come out, you are illustrating how you who are put into Christ and saved from the destruction around you. That's what he said. He said, and baptism, which is a figure, it's a figure of their deliverance. It's a figure of their deliverance. Does now also save you from inward questionings and fear, not by removing of outward body filth, bath and bed by providing you with the answer of a good and clear conscience so that you know that you are, you are saved truly. That the, the way they entered that boat and they were, they were saved from the destruction of the flood, that you too have entered into Christ. So your conscience is clear of guilt and condemnation. That you have been saved from power of sin. Saved from Satan. You can stand with boldness. He says, so a good and clear conscience, inward clean, cleanness and peace before God. Because you are demonstrating what you believe to be yours. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This came from, to you through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. You are demonstrating what you believe is yours. That I'm in Christ. I am saved like they were saved at the time of Noah. So I don't, I don't have any more guilt of sin, payment of sin, judgment. I'm no more condemned. I am justified. So when you get baptized, that's what you are demonstrating. What I have. So he's using the time of Noah to illustrate time of Christ. Remember allegory, two unrelated things being used to illustrate a point so that people can understand it. Now, if you are a Bible student, and I know a lot of people are, especially those in the, in the um, adult class, I will, I will give you an assignment to study this verse further. It, I would like us to study, you know, do our own personal study on it again. And let the Holy Spirit come up, you know, come up with whatever the Holy Spirit is sharing with you. But because there could be more light, there could be more, you know, you know just, I, just, I just want us to throw it out there. Let's, let's chew this bone. Because this one is not, it's not milk, this is bone. <laughs> let, let's chew this bone a little bit. And see what's on the school, whatever, whenever you have time, three minutes for me, you can share. After your teachings, share, hey, did you read that verse? So what, did, what is the Holy Spirit? You can share it among yourself. Do a, a good exercise. You are mature Christians. You can handle this one. So do a good exercise, and I'll get to hear some good points that is coming out of it. But this is the traditional verse that is used to illustrate baptism in water. I trust the Lord that we did a good job here. Praise the Lord. Was it well explained? Praise the Lord. So now we go to baptism of the Holy Spirit. I have just 10 minutes. After this, I'm going to teach on sanctification. The doctrine of sanctification. You need to come and listen to that. Because it is key, it's important, very, very important 
that you understand these doctrines that are very, very important as a Christian. Because a lot of things being taught as sanctification, you just wonder. So we're going to deal with the doctrine of sanctification. What is it? What does it mean? How do we live this life? What did the Bible say about it? But for now, baptism of the Holy Spirit is done by Christ, Jesus alone, not by a prophet or apostle giving you anointing. It's exclusively done by the Lord Jesus Christ. All, people, all these people trying to give you anointing you should avoid them. All good things and perfect gifts come from God. But not a man saying, come, let me give you anointing. He has none to give you. Power belongs to God. Period. And the anointing is the Holy Spirit. You can't pocket him and keep him as your property. The Bible says you have the anointing in you. That the Holy Spirit refers to the Holy Spirit as the anointing. So it is done by, the Holy, by Jesus Christ alone. He can use people, but it is him. Using people as mere vessels. So in Acts 2, 33, now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit. Listen, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour upon us. Jesus received it, poured it upon us. It is him that poured it upon us. Just as you see and hear today. So what you see, the Holy Spirit that came, is Jesus that poured it upon us. It's Christ. Mark 3, 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is higher than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, and he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He said, Jesus is the one that baptized you with the Holy Ghost and fire. He's not a man, not a pastor, not an apostle, not a prophet. People, read your Bible. It's Jesus. Can he use a man? Sure. But is it the man baptizing? No. It is Christ himself. So no man can take this glory unto himself. The grace of God is God gives us the grace as he, as he pleases him. Now, it is again for believers. It's not for unbelievers. John 14, 17. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. The world cannot receive him. So you can't get to your friends and say, come and be baptized. <laughs> it's not going to work. The world cannot receive him because... Is he him not? They don't know him. Neither know him. But you know him. For he dwelleth in you, you shall be in you. Because you are now born again. You have, you have the spirit of God in you. So you can receive him. But the world cannot receive him. So it's not for the world. It's for Christians. God uses our hand because we are members of his body. It is still God at work, like I was saying. Let me show you something. When the disciples were praying in Acts chapter, God's power is on you, good people. God is working something in your life. Glorious. Glorious. Awesome. Acts 429. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they will speak the word by stretching forth thy hand. Whose hand? God's hand. To heal. And that signs and wonders may be done 
by the name of, the, of thy holy child Jesus. That's their prayer. Now let's see how God answered it. In Acts 5 verse 12, and by the hands of the apostles. Oh, they say, God, stretch forth thy hand. And God said, yeah, you are my body, your hand is my hand. By the hands of the apostles who are many signs and the wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's word. They say, God, stretch forth your hand. And God answered it and stretched forth his hand. The hands of his body. We are members of his body. We are his hand. We are his hand. We are his hand. The Holy Spirit is not confused. When he says you are a member of his body, it is true. You are his hand. You are his mouth. You. See, when you face demonic spirits and things, always remember that you are his hand. You are his mouth. You are him standing here, part of his body. Between you and them, who will be afraid? Between you and whatever your challenge is, who should be afraid? This by the hands of the apostles. So they can say, by the hands of Brother Susu, by the hands of John, by the hands of this person, by the hands of this sister, why he is member of his body. This is my body. This is me. Stretch forth my hand. This is my hand. This body, this hand, is my hand. And so the Bible said, they said to God, stretch forth thy hand. And God stretched forth his hand, which is their hand. Do you know your hand is his hand? Have you ever realized that? It's because we don't remember these things, so we think we're alone. So we get afraid easily, succumb easily. We don't realize who we are, that we are his hand. When you need to say, my father, he needs with you. It doesn't change the fact that you are his body. If, if that is his hand, then your mouth is his mouth. That's why he said Christ is our life. We are joined to him. We are sharing life together with him. You are an indestructible alloy of you and Christ joined in a powerful alloy. So now when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, by laying of your hand, Christ, who gives it, we use your hand to impart it. As 19.4, Paul said, John's baptism calls for repentance from sin, but John himself told you the people to believe in the, in the one who will come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they had this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus, of the Lord Jesus. Then he, then Paul laid his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. You can say the Lord stretched forth his hand on them, because that was his hand. Not because it was Paul, no, but because Paul 
was part of his body as, as much as any of us is part of his body. When you lay your hands on your child, on a sick person, do not forget that the hand of the Lord is stretched and see wonders. And see wonders. It's what you call it, it is. If you think it's your ordinary arm, that's ordinary arm. But you know it's the hand of the Lord here. This is the hand of the Lord. Which means you can't use it to be doing any evil. You can't use his mouth to be talking, cursing. You know, before I came here, when, when Paul came up, I was making jokes with him. I, I was calling him prophet. And, and when I went to my office, the, Bible said, the Lord said to me, he said, don't make fun with the office of the prophet. Don't try it again. He said, do not try it again. Don't make trivial, don't make triviality of sacred things. Don't do it anymore. It's your hand. Don't make your hand trivial. Don't make it trivial. Don't make your mouth trivial. And use it to be cursing and gossiping, telling lies. No, don't make not trivialize it. It's the hand of God. It's the mouth of Jesus. Don't make yourself travel by doing whatever they are doing. That's part of the sanctification teaching. You need to be set apart because you are the hand of God. You are the part of his body. And we're going to continue next Thursday, talk about the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. We're going to talk about the purpose of his coming. Again, the Holy Spirit baptism is not for you to live the life of Christ. Jesus came for life. The Holy Spirit came for power. He didn't come for the same thing. But Thursday, by the grace of God, we'll go from there. And then we'll finish it. we we'll go to sanctification. Let us pray. Precious Father, I want to thank you again for the privilege you've given us to study this marvelous, 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 marvelous revelation from the scriptures. We trust, Lord, that you cause it to bear fruit in our lives. That we will remember that we, our hand is his hand. Our mouth is his mouth. So we don't trivialize our hand, trivialize our life and degrade it. Degrade it and use it for useless things. But we set it apart knowing who we are, that this life is his life. We are members of his body of his hand, of his leg, of his mouth, join the sharing our lives with him. So that we don't, you said we should not call what we don't, common. So we should not call ourselves common. And be doing what, just common things, whatever people are doing, we'll be doing. Help us to understand that, remember that, set it apart, so we can see more of your glory manifested in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.